Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Optimize Your Body podcast. I've got my man Jordan Sullivan here today. And Jordy, I'm going to go through his bio. Jordy has an undergraduate degree in exercise and nutrition science and also a master's in dietetic studies. Jordy's a dietitian to some of the most elite people across Australia and New Zealand, including world championship fighters, Olympians, top CEOs, and business professionals. He's super passionate about high performance and using nutrition to gain both the physical and mental edge over your competition, no matter the environment. A published academic author, speaker, and hands-on practitioner, Jordan's work has established him as one of Australia and New Zealand's leading performance dietitians. And when he is in the office, you can find him on the mats do jiu-jitsu, getting reminded why he is the professional dietitian and not the professional athlete. <laughs> that last bit, mate, right? That last bit's uh, a funny one. <laughs> Very accurate, though. I tell you what, it's uh, super accurate. <laughs> yeah. With jiu-jitsu, whilst we're on that topic, uh, how much experience do you have with that, bro? Uh, I'm a purple belt with uh, in jiu-jitsu. So I've been training like seven years now, seven years. So that's good, right? Like I... At my at my gym, I'm kind of very sporadic with it, but I get to travel and train with some of the best guys in the world. So it's a it's a really cool gig. But um, yeah, I, I definitely love jujitsu. I do quite a few other sports at the moment, but yeah, yeah, jujitsu is always kind of like your your base that you come back to. Awesome, man! Awesome, yeah, I love it. I mentioned off air. I, I started jujitsu last year, so I'm, I'm only a white belt. But uh, just for some context for the audience, you know, like purple belts. You know, when you roll with a purple belt as a white belt, it's such a massive gap in in, in skill. It's actually crazy. That's what's uh, bonkers about uh, jiu-jitsu, right? It's like the skill you need, the skill set you need, to, and how long it takes, for example, just to get – so so there's white belt, blue belt, and then just to get to a purple belt, you're probably looking at a minimum of like – a bare minimum of like four or five years normally, right, bro? Yeah, yeah, they're about – obviously, you get the exceptions, right? Like you get the yeah. guys with rugby backgrounds, and they're quite strong, all the wrestlers that come across. But yeah, around, around about there, bro. I'm, I'm sure you do pretty well. I'm sure like you're quite athletic, right? So you probably do a lot better than your standard white belt that comes in. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because being athletic and strong does help, right, mate? 100%. Um, but yeah, man, just tell us uh, a bit more about, you know, like your upbringing and, and how you ended up doing what you're doing, my man. Yeah, so essentially, I uh, grew up playing rugby. I was a big rugby head. I did that for most of my adolescence, right up until I was about 19. And when I was playing rugby, my rugby coach was a old school boxer. So he boxed back in the day. So he made a lot of us box in our off seasons to um, stay fit. I thought my uh, career in life would be rugby. And then when I was 19, I got a double shoulder uh, injury and ended up having to stop playing rugby. And then I ended up taking up boxing to stay fit. And then I was doing that while I was at university. And then when I finished university, I got a couple of degrees. I got an exercise nutrition science degree and then silly enough to go back and pay for a master's degree. And then like most good uni students, I finished that and thought, what do I do with all of this? And I, I was always really passionate about sports nutrition, but like most uni grads, there's not jobs flowing out everywhere. So I ended up uh, running over to Canada and I was meant to be there for about six months, I ended up staying over there for about two and a half years. And I just lived kind of like the, the, the bum travel person lifestyle. But when I went over there, I said to myself, absolutely do not work any nutrition jobs. You've done this for the last five years. Give yourself a break. And then the first job I got was in the nutrition space. And so I kind of kept that going. Ended up working with a couple of college teams over there. Worked in like the sports supplement space. And then I ended up in a, in a hotel teaching like boxing classes. And, and then eventually ended up in Toronto training at a, a pretty good gym over there. And it was while at that gym in Toronto. And I based there for a few months. I, I just stopped traveling around. I based there. And that's when I was uh, competing a fair bit in jujitsu. 
And then everyone in the gym was like cutting weight and we were all cutting weight. And I thought, Hey, you know what? I'm the guy. I've got two nutrition degrees. I've got an undergraduate. I've got a master's. This would be super easy. I'll help you guys out. And I had absolutely no idea what to tell them. I had absolutely no idea what to tell them. And what's worse is that I had no idea what to do for myself. So I put myself through a few pretty horrendous weight cuts and then put my teammates through a few pretty horrendous weight cuts as well. But then that's kind of what snowballed and eventually led to me starting TFD. That kind of made me sit back and realize and went, holy crap, like this is probably an area that, you know, someone could probably jump in here and, and make a bit of improvement. And I guess that looking back on it was the early start of TFD. Awesome, man. Awesome. What was that like then? Because, you know, it must've been a little bit frustrating at the time as well, right? For you to have all the background you had with nutrition and everything else, but not really being able to apply it to, you know, athletes and stuff and actually communicate and just basically be effective with the, uh, with the, you know, with the instructions and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think knowing something and then knowing what to do with that information are two very, very different things. Right. And I think, especially when it comes to sports nutrition and sports and dealing with athletes, having live and breathe it yourself is, is quite important. And I'm not saying you have to like do every single sport of people that you consult with or whatever, but being an athlete or living that kind of athlete style lifestyle definitely helps. And when it came to like cutting weight and talking to people about that, being immersed in the gym culture. And I think that's a big one. Being immersed in the combat sports gym culture was really important because there were things that were being said around the gym that I know were total crap. Like the people were saying, cut out all carbs for weeks on end. Like, you know, you got to run in sauna suits twice a day before every session to make the weight. all these crazy things that I knew were terrible, but because I was so immersed in the gym culture, you kind of just like you're guilty by association and you just do it anyway. So I think that was very interesting to go through all of that because that taught me one of the most valuable things that has helped me with my career. And that's learning how to talk to these guys on a level that they can relate to. It's like, Hey man, I know you don't want to eat carbohydrates and I know no one at your gym is probably doing it. Your coach is telling you not to do it, but here's why you should be doing it and how you can still lose weight eating all of these carbs. Mm, mm, yeah and uh we i like to talk about on that topic as well about some of the stuff you talked about on your content with you know harsh truths on nutrition right like some of the stuff you touched on then and obviously jordan's talking about athletes and stuff but all of this is you know relative to anyone listening back to this or just the average person um you mentioned about like uh harsh truths on nutrition such as like fasting you know and drinking seven cups of coffee whilst you're in that fasted state because for me i basically don't normally eat till about midday or 1 p.m I just have two big meals a day and I don't really look at it like fashion. I just look at it like, you know, having that bigger gap in the morning, you know, and not eating, I'm just more productive and feel better with my energy and everything else. Um, but a lot of people jump on these things, right. And they, a lot of people don't really have, they don't really have the base to actually start looking at stuff like fasting. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, you talked about that. You talked about, you know, and it be making people feel like they've accomplished something as well with fasting, but it not necessarily being the right option, right. For a lot of people to dive into stuff like that. Yeah, fasting is an interesting one there because you talk to most people that do fasting and they'll all tell you they like it, but you can tell they absolutely do not like it. And the biggest thing that gives it away is you always say to them, how many cups of coffee does it take you to get to 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m. or whatever the time is that they're fasting to? And they're always like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe like four, five, six, seven, eight cups of coffee. It's like if you're battling that hard to get to it, you're probably not meant to be fasting. You could probably get through Martin to 1 PM and your body feels pretty fine. Like you're probably, it's probably just suited for your body with everything that you've got going on. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. And they kind of just battle their way through. 
And I think more so because fasting is so appealing because it's more the behavior rather than the actual act itself. And what I mean by that is that by people getting to 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m. or whatever it is, that counts as a mental win for them in the morning. And I think that sets them up mentally that, hey, yes, I just did something hard. This is working for me. I'm making positive change to my lifestyle. This is a good thing. Even though they just railed eight cups of coffee and able to get there and they just watch food porn all morning to get themselves to that point. But it's more of a mental win, which isn't a bad thing by any means, but it's not really the point, right? Like if we're talking about positive health change, maybe for that person, instead of going through all of that in the morning, maybe it is better that they just have some, a couple of smaller meals, high protein meals throughout the morning, get them through here. They'll still feel good, still good energy. They're probably not going to get that sugar dump at bad heaps of carbs. And maybe you can just control their calories and they'll be fine by the end of it. I think fasting is really appealing mostly because people get these little mental wins from battling every day up until the time they're meant to eat. Mm, and battling 100%. And funny you say that because even the level that I'm at now, right? Relationship with food, everything's dialed. It's taken me years and years to get to this point. I've been implementing like intermittent fasting probably about six, seven years now, like every day pretty much. It's just how I live now. But even I have to battle at times. Sometimes you'll get to like 11 a.m. and I'm like, should I just have another coffee? I only have one coffee normally. I'm like, should I just have one more just to get me through? So even every now and then I find myself battling. So I can't imagine for the average person. Another thing you talked about, and this is relative as well, is like carbs. One of the harsh troops you mentioned on nutrition is carbs, you know, being a problem, right? Oh, you know, I just eat too many carbs, people say. But in my experience as a coach, when you dial it, when you strip everything back, you see, oh, actually, you're just eating a little bit too much highly processed, well, quite quite a bit too much highly processed foods, and not all carbs are treated equally anyway, right, George? Yeah, what's that old saying is uh, you throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I think when it comes yeah. to carbs, that's absolutely the case, right? Like carbohydrates as a food, biochemically speaking, all carbohydrates are the same. They're all made from the same building blocks. But when we look at carbohydrates as foods, we've got a few different groups. And I think we make the mistake of grouping these all together. So take, for example, if we look at like fruits, vegetables, honeys, all these, what we call natural carbohydrates, I look at those foods and I see highly nutritious foods that are full packed full of vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, all of these other really good things. And per volume, they're really low calorie. They're really, really low calorie foods and you get a lot of really good stuff in it. But then on the other hand, we have this group of carbohydrates that added sugar carbohydrates or the processed carbohydrates, the things like your muffins, your chips, your ice creams, your chocolate bars, all of those things that are by no means natural, but they're very, very low nutrient value. So not a lot of vitamins, minerals or anything else like that, but very, very high calorie. So if you, I always use the comparison, if you take an orange and you take a muffin, you're going to get a lot more out of that orange than you are that muffin but we seem to just bunch carbs all together and i'm not saying that these processed foods are really that bad there's a time and place for them but for the average person who says trying to watch their weight or you know they're, they're trying to be a bit more health conscious it's very very easy to go over your calories or overeat if you're predominantly eating these things that's why we always say oh carbs are bad carbs are bad it's like carbs aren't bad this little section of carbs over here can be bad if you don't know how to use them in the right way but just because they can be problematic, don't throw out all of these ones over here that you can absolutely incorporate in your diet. And most people should be incorporating those, in the, especially if you do any type of activity. I'm not even talking about serious athletes, even people, if you're going out and you're doing a hit class, F45 or whatever, any type of exercise like that, you should be having those type of carbohydrates in your diet. 
I think we just get in this really bad habit of just tossing them all together in one group and just throwing them all out together and saying, nah, all carbs are bad. Yeah, it can be really problematic, right? Yeah, you put that, you put that really well. And it's like, you know, single ingredient food, right? Again, no one's going to be perfect, but it's like if your diet is has too much highly processed foods in, would you agree that basically those foods are kind of designed to make us eat more of them, right? Generally, would you agree with that? Yeah, like yeah. a lot of them? I mean, there's a whole science of that, right? Like the yeah. you know, when it goes like, it's called like the golden ratio where you get like the perfect 50% fat and then 50% sugar. And that just sends all these signals in our brain going crazy. So not only do you get like this really sweet sugary taste, you get this awesome mouth feel from the fats and all of the foods that hit this are like all of the, the really yummy foods we find like glazed donuts, burgers, chips, all of these things, they're designed to be like that. And I think the other big thing that we never really talk about when we demonize carbohydrates and why it's such a big problem is for the average Joe, when you're going to their cupboard or they go to their pantry at nighttime and they open it up and they look at all the food options that are available to them, I would say 70 to 80% of those food options are going to be carbohydrates. They're going to be grain, cereals, you know, all these pastas, all these other things that are going to be carbohydrate options. So if you're telling that everyday person, hey, you can't eat carbohydrates, they're bad. All of a sudden they look in their cupboard and they go, holy crap, what do I eat then? I've got 20% left of, you know, I've got some meat over here. I've got some avocado, some butter. What do I do with all of this? And then it just starts this crazy cycle of, okay, we've just removed an entire food group, 80% of their options. Now we've got this really crazy, like restrictive cycle going. And this really starts, we don't need to go into all of it, starts this crazy like disordered eating pattern and all these bad images about food and body image and everything else. And no wonder everyone gets so confused. Like you just took away 80% of their options. They're looking at a steak and eggs and avocado a stick of butter. And they're like, okay, I'm meant to eat this for five times a day for the rest of my life. Like, what am I meant to do here? Mm. And speaking of butter, right? Something else funny that you talked about, which I've talked about before is like, you know, the bulletproof coffees, right? And having butter in your coffee. And from what you were saying then as well, what happens is it, be, it can become a vicious cycle, right? When uh, people struggle with their, you know, let's say someone's fasting or someone's not eating enough high quality foods, more prone to kind of maybe overeating, right? Uh, and then obviously, you know, just in general, people not prioritizing things like sleep, right? So obviously, people not being aware enough of like sleep quality and stuff like that and actually tracking that um, and just prioritizing it basically, right? A lot of people, like I said to you before, you know, some people say to me, you know, I sleep great. You know, I hit the pillow and I'm out cold. I sleep perfectly. And it's like, you know, it doesn't really work like that. You've got to kind of track it because when people start tracking it, they think they're, you know, they might be in bed for seven hours, but when you actually you know, track it again, you realize you're actually, let's just say you're awake for half hour to an hour or maybe even more. You're actually sleeping for about, you know, five and a half to six hours and people are like, oh, wow. So maybe that's why I'm getting, you know, potentially getting more cravings. And more importantly, I'm getting like an energy, an energy uh, dip or whatever in the afternoon. And then people tend to turn to those energy drinks, right? Uh, having butter in their coffee and stuff like that, because obviously, you know, the way it's been marketed and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. So do you see that as a, a common problem with a lot of people like poor sleep and then lack of energy and using maybe too much caffeine? Yeah, for sure. I think most of these things, like if you dial it back, you find that it's like a foundational problem. And then that's one of the biggest, most common one we see. If I find that someone's having five, six Red Bulls throughout the day or the smash and eight cups of black coffee, it's not so much, I don't think generally that they have like a caffeine addiction or anything like that. If you boil it down, it just comes back to either they've got a poor diet that they're not giving themselves enough energy or more commonly, as you said, they're just not getting enough sleep or if they are getting enough sleep, probably not high quality sleep. 
And this is something that I think is just not spoken about enough. It's so underrated. Sleep is the biggest performance gainer. And that's not performance in terms of athletes or anything, just for everyday people like you and me. The best thing you can do for your health is just get a good night's sleep and do that consistently. And then coming back to athletes, and this applies for everyone, we just did this really cool in-house study with two of our guys. One of them is a world champion athlete, very, 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 very high level, very, very good. And another one is an athlete that's in that same weight division, still very, very good athlete, does everything right, but he's just not at the same level. And we were discussing, because we've looked after both of them, what's the difference between these guys? Because they both eat great. They tick all the boxes with their nutrition. Their training load is great. They've got great coaches around them. Their training volume is really good. They do all their recovery. They hydrate properly. What is it that's different about these guys? And we brought in a sleep scientist to have a look at these two. And then once we got the data in after assessing these guys over a couple of weeks, it was astronomical, the difference. One of them was getting eight to nine hours of sleep with the right amount of deep, high quality, deep sleep that you're meant to get. And the other one absolutely was not really short sleep, wasn't getting into that deep sleep. And you were seeing that. And this has been occurring for this other guy for years and years. And I think people often think, oh, it's just one night bad sleep or a couple bad nights, I'll make it up. But when it's something that's just going and going and going, these two are a really good example of that. Like what over time, accumulatively, what can be the difference? This guy is at the top of the sport and this guy's kind of sitting around the mid range. And really the only difference between the two is that one of them is really, really good at sleeping and the other one is not. Yeah, it makes so much sense, man. It makes so much sense. And again, that's like the average person can identify with that. That's athletes. That's a, an extreme example, but it just goes to show how important it is, right? Because at that level, all those things, those little, and that's, that's a big thing, sleep, right? But someone who's getting eight to nine hours of good quality sleep versus someone who's maybe getting like seven hours and not so much quality is the difference between someone being an absolute top level athlete and someone being potentially mediocre, right? At the professional level, you know what I mean? Not to say that guy's mediocre, but you know what I mean in terms of when you get to that high level. Uh, and it comes down to the base, which you talk about again in your content is uh, is building that base, right? And, you know, obviously, for example, I started having ice baths uh, this year. And, you know, I time my coffee as well. So in the mornings, I'll wait 90 minutes to two hours before I have my coffee for more energy, better mood. I've noticed a difference. There's research on this. But again, for the average person, you don't need to worry about having, and Jordan done a great post on this, you know, thinking about ice baths and cold water therapy is not going to be top of the list for you. That's going to be like at the bottom. That's going to be a pebble. The big rocks is what Jordan talked about then. So the big rocks uh, and, and the fundamentals when it comes to building the base, right, Jordan, with health. Uh, you've mentioned things like, you know, obviously drinking too much alcohol being a problem. You mentioned about sleep just then. And a big one you always talk about is stress management. And then we just talked about food quality. What comes to mind when you think of a healthy base uh, for people to, you know, succeed with this stuff and just be healthy? Yeah, I think it's almost too simple that people don't like the answer, right? And yeah. it's almost just recapping that. I think first and foremost, you want to give your body enough calories to be able to fuel your activity. And that doesn't mean like a world-class champion athlete that can be just an everyday person who goes to the office every single day that can be someone who works on a job site if you need energy to go fuel that and your brain needs energy to go think your organs need energy to to work properly your immune system needs energy to work properly your cardiovascular system needs energy to work properly so on and so forth so you need to make sure that you're eating enough baseline calories to support 
whatever it is that you're doing every day. And we find if people are chronically dieting or always restricting these foods, they just go through these cycles where they eat a lot of calories. They go, I need to diet. And then they go in these crazy periods of not eating enough calories. It just starts this crazy cycle. Have a good consistent intake to fuel your activity, whatever that activity is. The next most important thing is your micronutrition. And I always describe to people, if your body's a warehouse and you think of all those different systems, your immune system, cardiovascular system, renal system, they're all different teams in the warehouse that keep the warehouse ticking over and working properly. The calories is the energy that gets the teams to do that. But then your micronutrition is the tools that those teams are using in order to do all of their jobs. So you need to make sure that you're getting enough vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, all of those types of things. And we get that. The easiest way to get that is eating a good variety of different colors of fruit and vegetable. I know there's a big like carnival <laughs> like craze going through now and people are like, ah, oh, I can go away from it. Easiest thing research has shown time and time again, you can eat between up to four and five different colors of fruit and veg every single day. Very, very good for your gut health. Very, very good for your health overall. It gives your body the tools or those workers, the tools in order to make sure all those systems in your body is working properly. And then the next things that we say, very, very simple, sleep management, stress management, and hydration management. And that's making sure that you're sleeping seven to nine hours, quality sleep. So having good sleep hygiene, don't be on your phone up all night and, you know, watch your Netflix till 1am, then jump in bed and be stressing out and whatever else. Set aside some time so you can create a good sleep habit and get it consistent every single night. Stress management, we've spoken about before is, you know, get some type of system. Doesn't mean that you have to run off to the Himalaya, Tibet and whatever and go into this big yoga retreat or whatever. Just taking five minutes out of your day to go unwind and relax or learn to do a couple easy breath exercises that you can do where you breathe in and out to slow down. Huge, huge impact on your health. And then lastly, I think there's something that's very, very underrated is hydration. Like 70 to 70% of our body is fluid. Most of the biochemical reactions that happen in our body happen in a body of water. Yet most people live their lives in a state of mild dehydration because they don't drink enough fluid throughout the day. So that's one of the easiest things. That's something we do with all our clients. Very first thing before I even make you do any dietary changes, drink three to four liters of water a day. Instantly come back. Hey, I feel so much more energy, way more concentrated. I just feel so much better overall, simply just drinking more fluid. So if you can nail those things, again, which are very, very simple, you'll be 90% of the way there. As you see, there's nothing pretty going on here, is it, George? Right? It always comes back to the fundamentals, but it comes down to being consistent with those things, right? And um, stress and weight loss, you know, um, how much would you say stress plays a part into, because a lot of people are struggling, you know, obesity epidemic, et cetera, et cetera, right now, uh, and just more people overweight than ever, right? So, but with stress, it plays a huge part, right? And we do need some stress, you know, stress plus rest equals growth, right? But at the same time, if you've got too much stress coming in, then that can be problematic, right? Because when you've got, you know, too much cortisol and everything else, uh, and then the decisions you make with food and everything else, the two big walks I always talk to clients about is like stress and sleep. They're the two big things. And then the, the nutrition and training kind of follows on after those things, right? Once you've got those two, and you're never going to be perfect with the exact amount of stress coming in, but being mindful of stress levels and then good quality sleep. But would you say stress levels and maybe overload of stress can play a big part then in terms of like people trying to lose weight all in all? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can still lose weight if you're stressed. Like you losing weight again is just the calories in, calories out again. Very simple. Everyone's heard that. 
And you can't change that. That's just the laws of thermodynamics. The reason you and me aren't floating off in this room and coming up from our chairs or whatever, because those laws of thermodynamics hold true in everything. So if you want to lose weight, you just eat less, move more. That's completely true. But stress can make eating less and being in that calorie deficit much, much harder. And like you just alluded to, it can change a lot of things in your body, such as how your appetite hormones behave. Everyone knows, what do you do when you get really stressed out? What is the first response for most people when they get really stressed out? They reach for a bag of chips. That's because there's a stress response in our body when we're dumping certain hormones that kind of put us more in this fight or flight response and it can release certain energy fuels into our body and then we want to replace those energy fuels or make sure our body has energy fuels in case a bear or something jumps into the room because at the end of the day, our body doesn't know that you know, there's not a bear waiting outside the door. It doesn't know that we just got yelled at the, from Barbara from accounts for not uploading our receipts or whatever. That doesn't know the difference. It just knows stress. So it's preparing your body for that fight or flight. And all of these things that go on, we're in this chronic low-grade stress, which a lot of us in reality are for most of the time, doesn't necessarily hinder us from losing weight, but it can make it really, really difficult to get in the calorie deficit that we need to lose that weight. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. And just to switch gears and just talk a little bit about protein, right? Because we talked about a lot of stuff there in terms of nutrition and whatnot and what you need to really focus on. But, you know, protein is very, very important as well, right? Especially going back to being in a calorie deficit, right? Because obviously protein is the most satiating of uh, the three macronutrients, tends to blunt your appetite more as well. Uh, and then obviously just energy. And, you know, when you're eating more, say, good quality animal sources, for example, in your diet, meat and whatever, you tend to get a lot of uh, a lot of nutrients as well, right? So that obviously plays a huge part, right? Your uh, protein intake and, and and weight loss, but also just, uh, you know, I, I would say relationship with food as well, right? If you're having low protein or grossly under eating protein, you tend to make it for those other calories with other foods, which more likely to make you potentially overeat. I know there's a lot of context there, but uh, it's important, right, Jordan? Yeah, protein is if your goal is to lose weight or if you want to like put on muscle, I think most people that you're probably going to be talking to right now is losing weight, then protein should be your top priority. And you can get into all the nuances of this, but I think this example I'm about to say probably illustrates this the best. And I don't know if you've been in Australia long enough, Martin, do you remember Sizzler? I don't know if you remember Sizzler that was here. It's, it was a restaurant years ago where you went, I'm sure your listeners remember this. You go in there and it's kind of like a, or you can eat pasta bar type thing. They called it the salad bar, funny enough, but it was full of like pastas and breads. You'd go in there and you'd sit down and they'd bring out this like cheesy garlic bread. And then when you're a kid and everyone was there, would just rail this cheesy garlic bread. And then you'd finish that and you'd go up to the salad bar, which was really just a pasta bar. And you'd just rail heaps of bolognese and different types of pastas. And I always say to people, when you're eating those high carbohydrate foods, you seem to almost have a bottomless pit of a stomach, right? Like you, it seems to just not stop. But then if you think about when you've gone to a nice steak restaurant, when have you ever ordered a steak twice at one of those restaurants? You never do. And the difference between that is because when you're eating at the pasta bar, you're literally stopping because your stomach stretches out so much because you're putting so much. And you have these little things called mechanoreceptors, which are pretty much just receptors say, hey, Geordie, stop being so indulgent. Stop doing this. I'm going to pop and it makes you stop eating. That's why you get that really like sick, curled over feeling when you overeat. But when you eat steak, which is really, really high in protein, your brain, your stomach actually releases this hormone called cholecystokinin or CCK, 
and it loops up to your brain and it says, hey, we've got some food coming in. We've got some good quality protein here. You're probably pretty good for calories for now. You're probably pretty good. It takes about 20 minutes for that to come through. So that's why when you eat these high protein foods, you feel pretty good. You, you could probably always fit in dessert, but you're not curled over like, oh my God, I feel so sick. And that's why eating high protein diets is so, so beneficial when you're trying to lose weight because yeah, you can control your calories, but if you were to eat, say the equivalent amount and like carbohydrate or more of those processed foods, you're not kicking over this appetite stimulation system and you're not going to be feeling as full, which you and I both know eventually just leads to these guys overeating, eating more and slipping out of that calorie deficit. Yeah, such a good point, man. I like the way you put that. So simple, but so true. And I've never thought of that. When do you ever order two steaks? Like you never do, do you? You never do that. 300 gram steak and then you wait for it to settle. Can I have another steak? It just never happens. With the other foods, though, it's a different war game, 100%. Uh, what I find on that on that topic as well, I find like this the patterns and the patterns that I used to have as well, George. I've talked to the audience before. I used to be like pro level bodybuilder. I used to struggle with my relationship with food and stuff throughout that period. And when I was having a lot of like art, like and I know it's debatable with artificial sweeteners and stuff like that. But when I was eating food like protein bars, right? So I would eat, I would get a box of protein bars, right? Keep it in the house. And before you know, it, I have one a day. Then I'm having two a day. Then I'm just having basically. I'm just looking for flavor. So I'm like, right, let's have this protein powder, which is like, you know, loads of artificial sweeteners in, mix that with oats. And then I'm adding an almond butter. I'm having like a thousand, thousand calories in a bowl. And then I'm having like three protein bars. And I see the same patterns with people as well. When they're not eating whole foods, like more steak, meats, and just literally single ingredient food primarily. So mainly whole foods. And they're eating those bars and shakes. I find that they then tend to make uh, other decisions then as well, which are like maybe going to more towards those processed foods and they kind of struggle to not overeat more. So I know this is like probably debatable, but you would say there is a fundamental difference right, between eating, for example, steak and having like protein powder every day, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think once it gets in, in your body, it's probably going to break down and be the same. I think there's two, two points here that you're making and it would kind of get back to your point. I think when you're choosing these more whole foods overall as a whole in your diet, like say if you're choosing steak and you're probably going to be choosing vegetables, you're going to be choosing like brown rice and all of these other things. And I think accumulatively, you're probably going to be having much more higher fiber in your diet, which is again, going to contribute to that feeling of fullness. Plus you've got the good quality protein as well. When you're eating these more processed foods, you got to remember they rip all of that stuff out. That's why they're processed, right? They just rip it all out and put it in these little convenient packages. So you might be eating the same amount of calories, but when you're eating this more whole food-based diet, you're probably getting more of those extra good nutrients, especially fiber, which is going to help you feel a lot fuller for longer. The second thing, and I'll wrap this really quickly because it's a bit of a nuanced topic is that when people are in a calorie deficit and they go through exactly what you just described, when it's just like, hey, on day one, I just want one protein bar. And then on day two, I have two. I think people make this mistake when you're in a calorie deficit that they think when they go to bed at nighttime, that it just restarts. Like your body just resets and goes to zero every single day. Like you wake up and then you're back at zero and you're good to go again. And I always use the example of like, that's not how it works. Like think of your credit card. You can't just go on a spending spree on your credit card and then the next morning you wake up and then the bank goes, yeah, all good. You just wipe that off and then go spend again. Your body is exactly the same. Your body is like a calorie bank. So every day you're in that calorie deficit. If you're pushing that a bit too deep every single day, you go into what we call calorie debt to your body. 
and that debt accumulates. It's called within daily energy balance. And that can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And as you get deeper into that, all of these cravings and all of that appetite system gets more intensified because your body is going into more and more and more of a deficit. And that's why we tend to see people going, okay, at the start, first couple of weeks of this prep, I was okay. And now that I'm like four, five, six weeks in, I'm really craving all this food because they're so deep in this ditch. And this also explains, I'm sure you, you experience this or see people experiencing this in your bodybuilding days or with your clients now, we call it rebound hyperphagia. And that's a fancy way of saying, once you finish this dieting phase, you just eat everything and anything in sight. And that's because over this time, you've accumulatively built up all this debt, this calorie debt in your body. And we think that your body wants to make that up. So once you come back in and you're like, okay, I give myself permission to eat, you've let the discipline loose. People just feed and force feed themselves. And that's what causes a lot of these weight cycling when you go up and come back down. And that's probably what we're seeing when these people are doing this prep. And they go, okay, one protein bar here. And the next day it's two protein bars or the next week it's three or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. A lot of sense. Uh, yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole. Jordan's an absolute genius, right, in this field. So we could keep going down that rabbit hole. But the way you communicated it then just makes it makes uh, 100% sense. And it's like real foods. And obviously being in the deficit as well, there's there's, there's a lot of context, right? But as you say, um, it, it doesn't work like that, right? In terms of just like waking up and being on zero, you know, you do build up that debt. And, you know, over, I think it's like over 85% of people gain all the weight back they lost within like two years and over 50% gain it back within a year. So it's not actually the weight loss, really. If you look at it on the grand scheme of things, it's more keeping the weight off, right? Which is the, which is the challenge. And that kind of alludes back to all the stuff, uh, relates back to all the stuff we were talking about. When it comes to athletes, right, Jordan, I'm really curious. And I think the audience will be as well in terms of like, um, because I've coached even like just semi-pro athletes and just people that have played sports their whole lives, not the level you've coached people out of course, but like semi-pro players back home and stuff. And what I used to find is in a sense, they're kind of like the hardest people to train in a sense because they go so hard. Right. And <laughs> he's laughing because he knows they go so hard and it's like, they've got the mindset, which is paid off in sports. But when it comes to day-to-day -day life, they haven't. And a lot of what I find, what I found fascinating was a lot of them didn't actually have any kind of, uh, good behaviors with food. Like they had, you know, they, they would be okay, but they would basically, they've not had to focus that much on nutrition, basically is what I'm trying to say in the past, because they've always burned so many calories and always played sports. And then when they slow down, they realize, oh, actually, you know, they're not really eating the best. They're eating a lot of shit food and they're overeating a lot and stuff like that. And they would then, they, they would come to me, you know, after they finished playing sports or whatever and struggling to manage their weight and whatnot. But I wanted to ask you, your personal experience with athletes um, and you know, uh, basically some of the biggest challenges you've faced basically, my man. Yeah. I think, uh, you can go pretty deep on this one, but I'll yeah. address this. You're a hundred percent right. You're a hundred percent right. That a lot of athletes have very terrible nutrition habits. And I think the reason that they do that is because when you think of sport overall as like a system and you think of most sports that people are playing, they're what we call like multifaceted sports where there's a lot of different skills that are involved in you being good at that sport. So obviously, if you think of a group of people that are starting out a sport, they're going to develop in different ways and gain different levels of skill within that skill set, right? And eventually the people who end up on top and you know, end up playing in the Premier League or AFL or whatever it is, are the guys that accumulated the most favorable skills the most over that time. And so the funny thing with nutrition is that a lot of that can happen 
I don't want to say independent of your nutrition habits because it definitely helps, but there are so many top level athletes that have terrible diets, but they're just so skillful at what they do. They can get away with not doing it. And I think it alludes to this point that it can be, make it very difficult to coach because to develop those skill sets, you have to be, like you said, very tough and have a lot of grit and determination. And I say a lot of the athletes are almost too tough for their own good when it comes to things with their health, when it comes to performance, it's really, really advantageous to be like that and to tough out that training session and get through and, you know, turn up to the session that you didn't want to do. When it comes to your nutrition, that's probably not the best attitude to have. You need to be way more balanced. You need to be able to sit back and say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to take this session off. And you know what, I really want that food, but I think this is going to be better for me. So I think, yeah, a lot of athletes do tend to have pretty bad nutrition habits. And I think you really need to just sit back and break down these barriers and most of the work that we do, and, and we work some very, very elite level athletes, what we do with them is go through all of those basics that I just spoke to you about. We just break that down and hammer it into them. And I find that the very, very best athletes in the world that I've worked with, not only are they have all of this skill set very, very top level, but they consistently get those basics right. And I know we talk about all of these extra 1%, you know, the ice baths, the delaying coffee, all these other things that they do. If I'm being perfectly honest, a lot of them don't do it. And the reason they don't need to do it is because they get those consistent foundations so down pat and they do it consistently. And that's something that really separates these high level guys. And again, if we go over them, it's just fueling your body with the right amount of calories, which is a hard thing to do and know giving yourself the right micronutrition and then managing your sleep, managing your stress and getting good hydration. It sounds so simple, but even guys at the top level of sport are still struggle to do it. And the guys that are really staying at the top for a long period of time, they're the ones that consistently nail them. Oh, I love that. It just comes back to the fundamentals, right? Even for the average person, it's like sleep, training, nutrition, the big rocks, right? It comes back to the same thing, even at that. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be differences from uh, from athlete to athlete, right? But generally, it sounds like the ones who are crushing it, as you say, they're so skilled. And that's another thing as well. And that's another conversation, though, right? I won't go too deep into this, but a lot of people look at athletes, look up to athletes, right? And it's admirable, right? Let's be honest, to get to that level. But people don't really see the sacrifice, right, George, that goes into what they do and how much sometimes other areas of their life, not sometimes, all the time, other areas of their life are going to be out of whack, Right. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of whether that's like certain relationships and stuff like that. So people look from the outside in like, oh, wow, they've they've got the perfect life. But the amount of sacrifice they put in, right, George, to get to that level and be that good at one skill is actually insane, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think all the top level guys that, that I work with, I think it's a minimum of 10 years they've been one doing the sport. And then, you know, plus all the other years that they spent like refining the skills to do that sport. Like Volkanovsky is a great example. Like he's been doing what MMA for probably about 10 years, but then for 10 years prior to that, he was playing footy and doing, you know, gym and all these other things to get his body ready for that. And again, like you said, there's a lot of sacrifice that, uh, that goes into it. And I think just quickly on that point, Martin, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thing to think about because we, we kind of do idolize these top level athletes, right? Like we, we, we put them on this pedestal and we go, Oh, they, they must know something that, that I don't know, or they must have access to something that I don't have. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're very impressive of what they do and it's completely commendable. I personally find it is way, way, way more impressive when you can take like the average person, when that person 
kind of changes their life around. When that person can do an eight, 12 week program and they start building in those foundations and you see them consistently stick to them. I think that is far more impressive than seeing these top level athletes that have done this for 15 years. It's part of, they built the habits, they're doing it. That is so much more impressive because that takes a lot more work. That takes a lot more work. It's a lot harder for that person to build up that basics. And it's way, way, way more commendable. And I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I could never do what these athletes do, you probably can. You probably can. And you could probably do it in a pretty short amount of time, eight to 12 weeks. You just have to be consistent with what we know works and what we know works are those foundations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is not a shameless plug, right? But that's one of the reasons why, you know, my program at the minimum, well, the, the program is 90 days, right? And that's kind of the minimum uh, sign up, right? But you can get such a solid foundation, can't you? Within that eight to 12 weeks. And from what you were saying then as well with people with everyday lives, right? Some people have got kids. They've got biz. They're working stupid hours, right? They might be working like I have one client working like 60 hours a week with three kids, right? Still have fantastic results. So they're juggling life. And don't get me wrong, athletes still have a life to juggle as well. But when they get to the level, some of the guys you coach, right? And they get to that professional level, obviously they're getting paid, right? That's their living as well. So they can immerse themselves into that. And by the way, it's still really, really commendable. And it's still like they're in the 0. whatever percent of people. Uh, but the average person has all that life stress to juggle as well, right? And actually worry about earning money and then fitting this into their lifestyle and stuff. Um, but I just wanted, mate, I could have talked for a whole hour easily about this stuff. And I was going to do that before. It's just not specific enough to the audience. I want to give them what did it happen to nutrition. Um, but the highest status fighter you've ever coached, um, Jordan, and if you wouldn't mind just sharing quickly the experience and maybe the pressure of that, I'm curious. Oh, this is, this is splitting hairs because we've got a bit of a... You've got quite, I was going to say, there's so many of them now. Oh, just, just anyone well, I mean, that can find them. Well, I think right now, like if, we, if we're looking at like the pound for pound UFC rankings in the world, so we've got three guys in the top five and then... Re only recently like we had number one and two for a long time and then it's only recently that one of those guys took over the other guy and so it's like um and that and that's israel adesanya and alexander volkanovsky so like quite literally and, th and that's not like they're very very elite but like this is quite literally they are the best in the world at what they do but i guess volk right now is the the pound for pound king he's number one but yeah it, it's an awesome experience i think the best thing that i get out of working with those guys is seeing what works and what doesn't i think that's what really really i take a lot from and when i say what works and what doesn't i think in social media when it comes to health science nutrition science just things that everyday people like you and me are just so exposed to on social media there's always a new diet there's always a new trend there's always a new supplement that's meant to give us that quick fix working with people literally who are the best in the world at what they do very, very quickly shows you what works and what doesn't. And I know we're banging on about these foundations and these fundamentals, but I can tell you that these very, very top level athletes, they're not taking all these funky supplements. They're not taking the teas. They're not doing the detoxes. They're not doing any of that. What they're doing is just absolutely nailing those foundations. And like you said, man, yeah, you can establish that for 90 days in 90 days or whatever. And that will set you up for success because they're at that level because they've just done that for years and years and years on end. And I think if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I'm really struggling to start, like just start and you'll get there. Like you'll eventually get there, but you've just got to really focus on what works. And I know I'm sound like a broken record, but what works are those fundamentals. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Um, Israel, how do you spell this? How do you pronounce his surname again? Israel Della Adesanya. Yeah. Israel Adesanya. That 
yeah. <laughs> he'd be allowed to send it. I'm a big fan. I'm not really, to be honest, I'm not really a massive, like I, I like UFC, but I don't really know much about it. I don't follow it that much, but I'm a big fan of him. I've heard him on some podcasts. I've seen it. He's an absolute, what, what's it like, you know, uh, being in someone like that's corner? Like, I'm just curious to know about like, how you know you, the, the pressure because like i mean first and second in the world like this is the ufc this is like it's crazy that you actually got to that level where you're you know you're, you're coaching these people with nutrition and whatnot uh what it's just curious to know like is there any moments or any times where they've had a big fight like israel for example where you felt like shit this is a lot of pressure man i gotta get this right gotta be absolutely yeah. on the ball funny enough i remember it was, i think it was in 2020 before the pandemic I remember we were in Vegas with Israel and this was when Israel was kind of just rocking it up to who he is. And so like, it was before like these guys that I worked with were the like global superstars. And I think that's the craziest thing. They're like legit global superstars. Now I remember driving down the Las Vegas strip with Israel in this car. And then just every like three blocks, there was just a huge billboard with his face on it. And then you're kind of like looking over and you're like, like you're driving next to this guy. He's just an everyday person, right? So people forget they're just everyday normal people like you and me, but then they're just everywhere. And you're like, holy crap, this is, this is quite wild. I think over the years, yeah, it, it's definitely built up to something crazy, right? Like when you get all the crazy fans, like you can't really go anywhere. Like Israel has four security guards that's with him because there's just fans that like come out to the gym and he has to be escorted through the back door into the gym. Like wherever we're staying with Volkanovsky or whoever, like we have to have a separate entrance into the hotel because people just hound him and, and whatnot. And, you know, especially like in my job, when you're going to do weigh-ins with these guys and you walk into the weigh-in room, there's, you know, 200 reporters and 400 cameras that are all on you. And if you stuff up, you know, 2 million people are going to know about it at the press of a button. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure. Like it, it, the job is very cool. I absolutely love my job, but the pressure is really, really high. But again, not a lot of people get to see that. Not a lot of people get to experience that. And there's so many cool things. We get to travel all the world together. We get to experience so many cool things and I'm forever grateful for it. But yeah, it's absolutely a crazy ride. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely insane, man. Uh, just with Israel, right? Just to use an example, if you if you're uh, now you're probably not allowed to share this. I was just curious to know. Yeah, that, that's not going to work. I was just curious to know how it goes with his nutrition and stuff like that, leading up to a fight, and how you kind of like manage that. But I guess that's confidential, right? Yeah, like to to an extent. Like again, like Israel's an interesting one because like when we're leading up to a fight, like we're all cutting the weight, right? So every athlete kind of has their own individual plan. I think what I do, and this is getting in the nuances, and if you're not familiar with the sport what the cutting weight is essentially we lose a, a, a pretty substantial amount of weight in the days leading up to weigh-ins. It's essentially my job to do that and keep these guys safe. And there's a lot of factors that play into how you do that with these guys. And so how I do it with Volk is very different to how I do it with Israel. Like Volk loves steak. Like, I don't know if anyone follows him, but he loves, he's a big barbecue guy. So we'll cater a lot of our meals to be barbecue. And then with Israel, like he loves Nigerian food and he loves, you know, finger food and all of that. But the realm that I work in is we're not allowed to give them carbohydrates. We can't give them salt. We can't give them fiber. So we're very, very restricted. So we have to get very, very creative with the meal options. And it's, uh, it's really cool. So we still make the, you know, Israel traditional Nigerian food, but we make sure there's no salt, carbs, fiber or anything else in there. And it's uh, very, very interesting. But again, if we're, if we're talking about the weeks coming up to that point, it's those foundations. I know they're boring, but they absolutely nail them. One more question I had now, because I'm aware of the time, my man. Just real quick, do you ever look when you see those two guys fighting, for example, in the ring, 
and you go and you obviously you're learning all the time right but do you have it like because there is such a fine line in that you're seeing the little incremental things which a lot of people don't see and do you ever see like oh okay that little tiny thing that happened there where maybe he like dumped his energy towards the end of that round or whatever we might need to tweak this that with the carbs and this like just curious to know is it that kind of like much level of fine tuning where you're picking up on the most subtle things to change yeah, yeah. i mean absolutely like at the end of the day i'm talking about all these like very basics but i work in like elite level high performance right so these guys are getting ridiculous amounts of testing we know everything that's going on with their body and we're testing them every week so we're we're seeing what works what doesn't what food that i'm giving them we're putting them through like rigorous testing in the gym to see how their body's responding if their strength's going up if it's going down like how their body fat's responding power to weight ratio all of these crazy things and when it comes to the fight that's the accumulation of that and yeah there's there's definitely been times i remember when israel went up and he fought for uh the, the weight class above him and he uh, i was like man you gotta eat these rice cakes before you go and then he's like oh i don't really feel it in my gut and i was like all right no dramas and then unfortunately he lost that i remember the first thing he said to me is like oh man i probably should have ate those rice cakes i felt a little flat at the end there and i was like yeah but live and learn right but yeah like i said it's elite high performance so we dial in with every that we, we watch the fight live and then we'll watch it back and I'll talk to their strength conditioning coaches. I'll talk to their recovery coaches. I'll talk to the head coaches and we all come together and go, what worked, what didn't work? What do we need to adjust for this next one? And then what's the game plan? And then very, 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 very dialed in for the next camp. It goes to show at that level, right? You know, a couple of rice cakes can be the difference between, you know, like winning and not winning. Like, you know, and who knows who's to say that, you know, whatever, but obviously he's in tune with his body and it goes to show then that it's such a fine line. Man, that's so yeah, fascinating, that's man. So fascinating. Hey, thanks for sharing, bro. Um, where can the audience find you, man? Yeah, so we're pretty active on uh, Instagram. So that's the underscore fight dietitian. We're on TikTok, uh, Jordan Sullivan Dietitian. We've got a YouTube up now. So just put in Jordan Sullivan, uh, Facebook, The Fight Dietitian. Or you can head to our website, www.thefightdietitian.com. Awesome, man. I'll add all of this in the show notes as well. So make sure you go check Jordan now. His content is exceptional. And say no more. Thanks a lot, my man. Thanks so much for having us, dude. Cheers, buddy.